Long History's Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. Number 11. Frederick North. He was Prime Minister between 1770 and 1782, when a country you may have heard of, the United States of America, declared its independence. Hello everyone and welcome to Long History. This is another episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, where we pick a Prime Minister from the UK literally at random and then ask a few questions. Such as what were they like, how did they get into office and what were their main achievements. We've recorded many of these episodes now, and this one involved one of the most consequential of all Prime Ministers. Especially for anyone who's heard of that country called the United States of America. We've covered a few Prime Ministers here on Long History now, so when you've listened to this one don't forget to explore your podcast provider, or visit longhistory.net where all our episodes are gathered together. So here we go, with random UK Prime Minister of the Week number 11, Frederick North. Frederick North, Lord North, is notorious for being the worst Prime Minister ever. The reason is simple, he lost America. Now generally, with so many Prime Ministers to research and produce episodes on, really we don't have time here at Long History to go against the judgement of history, and perhaps opinions will evolve as this episode progresses, but really, having just gone through a series of forgettable, mediocre Prime Ministers, it's something of a relief to come across someone who was at least competent at the job of being Prime Minister, even if they weren't competent at keeping the 13 colonies happy. In this light, to read that he was the worst Prime Minister ever after wading through that bunch of ineffectual non-entities, all interesting in their own way, but not what you'd call excellent Prime Ministers, this condemnation of North seems something of a misnomer. And it leads to an intriguing question that's already been asked here on Long History. What is the criteria for the worst ever Prime Minister? North stands out, just like Churchill stands out actually, but on the opposite sides of the same coin. Churchill won a war, while North all but lost one. And this is the lot of Frederick North. He has to take the blame for the loss of the United States, but he was the one who was there, and he lasted 12 years in the role, in unprecedented and very difficult times. Unlike, it has to be noted, his five predecessors, who immediately crumbled as soon as they got into office, more or less, all of them leaving the job within a matter of months, passing the same set of problems on to their successor until they eventually reached North, who didn't crumble, faced by the same challenges. So who was the worst, really? Should the worst Prime Minister be the one who is remembered for losing the United States? Or should it be one of the ones who weren't even around at the time to try to keep it? What was Frederick North like? On doing the reading, part of the reason for this reluctance to place Frederick North in the list of worst Prime Ministers ever is because he appears to have been an effective organiser and a reliable, hard-working man. Moreover, his colleagues appeared to like him, and indeed he was seen to be so competent that he was persuaded to stay in the job a number of times, even though he himself wanted to leave. Have you ever had a colleague who was, frankly, good at dealing with all the <coughs> but who eventually drowned in it, despite being better than everyone round him? We can't say Frederick North was a handsome man, he seems to have been quite plain, 
but he appears to have had what would later be called a Churchillian wit, using words as his weapons in the debates that he seemed to relish in holding. The United Kingdom at the time We've only briefly looked into the American Revolutionary War for this episode, and what is quite striking is the lack of this nationalistic us-against-them in the accounts. Although the US clearly won the American Revolutionary War, it is noticeable that many of the British were just on their side. They themselves thought they had more in common with those people than the aristocrats who were provoking these wars. Many of the British were against the war because it disrupted their trade with the colonies. So there were those on the government and the king's side who were aghast at the very thought of questioning the divine right of kings to rule, while others also used religious arguments, saying that they had more in common with their religious compatriots across the water than with those people who ran the country. In this talk of aristocrats and rulers, we like to take a look at how much a normal person would have earned in those days. In 1780, for example, within two years of the end of North's time in office, in the southern county of Surrey, in winter, a day labourer would earn one shilling and fourpence. That's £5.64, or $7.26 US per day. The United States at the time. In each episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, we'd like to look at what was happening across the Atlantic to add a bit of an international element to our episodes. And this was the time when the question was particularly important. The American Revolutionary War began on April the 19th, 1775. I'm sure many listeners will know much more about all this than me. The war, however, didn't end until after North had left his job as Prime Minister. He left in February 1782, and the war officially ended on September the 3rd, 1783, although by that time it was just a bureaucratic detail when the British signed their treaty acknowledging defeat. Who could vote in Great Britain at the time? Well, of course, this was the key issue, actually. And at the time in Great Britain, very few people could actually vote. The king still had a great deal of power, and he essentially decided who the prime minister would be. The people who could vote would be landed gentry and aristocrats. But there were many so-called seats that at the time were called rotten boroughs, because they had so few voters that they could easily be manipulated by the local landowners. This was what ultimately led to this revolving door of aristocrats being in the Prime Minister's job at this time. And of course, whilst it was this type of clique that the Americans were rebelling against, there were plenty in the UK who were also against this type of leadership. But things in Great Britain wouldn't develop until the Great Reform Act of 1832. What was Frederick North's background? Well, anyone who's listened to any other episodes of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, particularly but not only with regards to these early Prime Ministers, will not be surprised that North was from an aristocratic family. Frederick North's father worked for the then Prince of Wales around the time that North was born, and apparently North even looked like George III, prompting suggestions completely unfounded that the Prince of Wales was North's father. The title of Prince of Wales is usually given to the heir to the throne, but in this case, the heir in question, Frederick, the eldest son of George II, didn't actually make it to the throne, dying at the age of 44, and leaving his son, the eventual George III, to inherit the throne in 1760, at the age of 22. 
So it was into this world, close to the royals, even from birth, that North was born on April the 13th, 1732, in London. Anyone listening to these episodes may already be able to guess North's educational background. One clue is that it is the most establishment background of all. And if you wanted to place your bet somewhere a Prime Minister will have been educated, it's safe to assume that he went to Eton School and then Oxford University. And indeed, this is the case with Frederick North. He went to Eton just like 19 other Prime Ministers and then went on to Oxford just like 29 Prime Ministers. And just in case you're thinking that this factoid is some quirk of old history, two Prime Ministers between 2010 and 2023 actually shared the same, exactly the same educational combination, with all five Prime Ministers between these years having studied at Oxford University. Frederick North, in the meantime, entered Parliament in 1754. And as well as being a confident and regular speaker, he worked with the Treasury, which eventually led to him taking charge of the nation's finances in 1767, when he became Chancellor of the Exchequer. And we'll hear a bit more about that in the next section. How did Frederick North become Prime Minister? As we've stated, the 1760s began with a new king, George III, and this was followed by a quick rotating series of prime ministers prompted by this new young king who shook up the establishment. By 1766, well into this decade, Pitt the Elder had taken up the role somewhat reluctantly. He was the fifth prime minister of the 1760s, and the king had persuaded him as a former war leader to take charge in the hope of stabilising the government. However, he didn't really want the job and actually fell ill. By default, putting the next person in line, Augustus Fitzroy, the Duke of Grafton, into the top job, even though he didn't show much enthusiasm and had even less talent for the job. This sixth Prime Minister of the same decade was subject to vicious criticism, and so he left the job after just over a year. In 1767, in the meantime, Frederick North had reached this job of Chancellor of the Exchequer. He'd been rising through the ranks, but only reluctantly accepted this role after his predecessor died. And the king, ever since this promotion, seems to have had North in mind for the top job, particularly because North had gained a solid reputation in Parliament due to the numerous speeches he gave. When this sixth Prime Minister, Augustus Fitzroy, resigned after his half-hearted administration, the king already seemed to have North in mind as the next Prime Minister but it still took him some months to persuade North to take the job, the man himself waiting until he felt he had enough support in Parliament to forge a stable government. So Frederick North was almost given the job by default because everyone else had already had a try. What were his biggest achievements as Prime Minister? Well, of course, in this case, it's a bit of a moot point. North is famous for losing the 13 colonies, but one of the main reasons why he lost them is due to what can, in many other contexts, be seen as a very good quality in a Prime Minister. He was adept at keeping an eye on the country's finances. He was trying to keep the books balanced. And he did manage to reduce the country's debt. But in the next section, we'll see why reducing that debt worked against him. Why did Frederick North stop being Prime Minister? 
Well, we just asked what his biggest achievements were as Prime Minister, but really we're looking at what the opposite of achievement was. What was the opposite of achievement? Well, failure, I suppose. Now, of course, there's going to be many points of view here, and of course, I'm no expert here. This is just an introduction to a Prime Minister, not to the American Revolutionary War, for example. But North's misstep, it seems, stems from his background in finance. My understanding is that North, with the support of many in government, including the king himself, saw the problems in the colonies as a purely financial issue. These annoying people didn't want to pay their taxes. So, of course, the solution was to make them pay their taxes. Ah, but they hadn't reckoned with the possibility that a group of people who go so far as to sail across a huge ocean to found new territories were not like taking orders from those people they left behind. People who, very often, were the very reason why they left the country. Really, we've already indirectly alluded to the problem of North's worldview. The people in charge at that time, including North, were establishment aristocrats through and through. They just hadn't realised that these people could be thinking with their hearts as well as with their wallets. Of course, one of the famous issues was the tea tax. And although North had not imposed the tea tax himself, he had supported it and he even strengthened it with the Tea Act of 1773. Unfortunately, it makes me want to fall back on those stereotypes of an English Prime Minister sipping his own tea and sighing when he hears of events across the Atlantic weeks after they've actually happened. He rather complacently assumes that a few soldiers and a few eventual weak concessions will solve the problem. Eventually, he realised too late that clamping down on these people from the other side of the world just wasn't a realistic solution. Now, this episode isn't about the Revolutionary War specifically, but one thing that quickly becomes apparent is the absurdity, the impossibility of running such a war when communications take weeks, if not months. Although the British surrendered in the key battle at Yorktown on October the 17th, 1781, they didn't actually find out about it until November the 25th. By this point, North knew that the war was over although it would continue to drag on for some years yet. It seems that the king was even then reluctant to let North leave the job. Ultimately, he managed to engineer himself out of the role by February of the next year, leaving it to his successors to have a fresh start, to tie up the loose strings and officially admit defeat. Why should we remember Frederick North? The war that defined his rule broke out five years after he'd entered office, years after the vast majority of his fellow Prime Ministers have already left the job. The following seven years would define his downfall, yet it was a far longer decline than many other Prime Ministers had. As we've said, he tried to leave the job earlier than 1782, but the King made him stay, apparently paying off his debts to keep him in the role. By 1778, other European powers, the French, the Spanish and the Dutch, were beginning to side with this new country, taking the opportunity to annoy their European rival. So, it's time for me to use what has become a bit of a political cliché when talking about British politics. I've tried to avoid it so far in episodes of UK Prime Minister of the Week, but it seems so appropriate here. It's a famous line attributed to another Prime Minister, Harold Macmillan, who was asked what the main challenges of the job of Prime Minister were. His reply was, 
Events, my dear boy, events. Now, it's been questioned whether he actually said this, but it does seem particularly apt for Frederick North. Many biographies state that he could have been an excellent Prime Minister if it were not for such events. Those annoying, world-changing details of history. It is noticeable, however, that North inherited many of these problems from his predecessors, those revolving five or six Prime Ministers of the previous decade. Now, war is never an easy time for a Prime Minister, but for seven years of the American Revolutionary War, North stayed in the top job. Other Prime Ministers have quickly been swept away when faced with similar challenges. In World War I, it happened to Herbert Asquith, the Edwardian gentleman who was quickly pushed aside when the country decided it needed more of a man of action. In World War II, Neville Chamberlain had tried his best to appease Hitler, but he was swept aside and replaced by Winston Churchill when the war proper began. So in some ways he must have been a good war leader, but in the end it's the result that counts. And whilst the British won both of those wars, World War I and II, this one the British lost. Now perhaps we're being a bit too generous here to a man who underestimated those people across the Atlantic who he was fighting. Bad luck can't be the only reason he made the wrong decisions at crucial moments. North chose to view these people as greedy tax dodgers who needed to be put in their place, not realising that these people had the upper hand and the passion to create their own independent country. Thank you for listening to this episode of Long History. I hope you've enjoyed that, although I'm particularly aware more than ever that there will be many opinions about what happened here. So as always, I'd repeat that I'm not an expert here. This is just an introduction to Frederick North. This is just a starting point for your own research and a particularly interesting point in history. So if you've made it to this point, I hope you have liked it. So please do give it a like if you can and subscribe and follow Long History for future episodes of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. So we'll sign off there. Thank you for listening. This was Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, number 11. Frederick North. Goodbye.